Welcome to Your Own Words, a podcast that celebrates the love of reading with real people and real books, both critically acclaimed and slated. Listeners are encouraged to read along and join the journey to the libraries of friends newly discovered. This podcast may contain spoilers, feminist rants, curse words and mispronunciations of names, cities and more. You did. I'm sorry. You never say hi first. I know. That's fine. I like, I like to be sort of on the back foot um, for the majority of the race and then really come through in the last like five or ten meters. Okay. Yeah. Noted. That's, that's how I <laughs> that's how I do conversation. <laughs> As if I were Denise Lewis, Olympic captathlete Denise Lewis. That is just, you know, if you wanted to go potentially into very niche. some of my I'm... niche uh, <laughs> athletic <laughs> history knowledge. <laughs> I'm just like blinking at you. Uh, like, yeah, I totally know what you're talking mm-hmm. about. Uh, hello. Hey, how is how you are now? Uh, I'm OK. I don't know. Like, I don't want to talk about lockdown every single bloody time. It's really time. dull. It's boring, isn't it? It's going on, guys. So it'll be going on probably for the next so what six seven eight nine ten whatever episode we're not going to talk about it anymore um because it's very boring and i've run out of things to say you uh told me something before we started recording that i think did you need I? to tell me again what the hell did i say about my shower <laughs> you didn't say anything about your shower you said something about what you're currently reading uh, that was shocking I, oh so yeah so i'm i'm actually so i'm i've just put a book down today which i finished and then the book that I'm going to pick up tomorrow is a plinth book. Mm-hmm. Explain yourself. Um, it was sent to me in the post by someone that I love very much, so I'm going to read it. I mean, you may love them, but clearly they <laughs> don't love you. They hate me. I'm hated. They don't know you because <gasps> I waited <laughs> to buy you Matt Haig. I pre-ordered you the paperback because you're a dink, <laughs> and I knew that you wouldn't read the plinth, so... Yeah, that is just saying. Is sorry, I, I mean, I'm sure that friend is wonderful, and <laughs> they might be listening to this. And I'm just like, that friend sucks. I'm better at friending than them in in a book capacity. Anyway, <laughs> you you win friending. Well done. Let everyone be clear that that is the dynamic here. Friendship is a competition, right? Uh, yeah, I think so. Um, That's how I've I mean. I did start it. by saying that I was beginning a conversation in a race, and I was going to come from behind and win. So yeah. <laughs> I think the competitive streak was established before everything we is a competition. Started talking. Um, I get quite competitive about gift giving. Yeah, I'm not like competitive, but I'm like I know that I'm fucking great I'm really at it, good, and yeah. I relish. It. I'm really I good at gift it. giving because I put a lot of thought into it, so that I know that it's going to be the best thing ever. So I know that I've got you the best thing ever. So let's not fuck about and pretend that I haven't or someone else has done well because I have literally got you the best thing ever. I mean, it's just fact. Like if I haven't made someone cry, I'm pissed off about it. Bowie is chewing. Cool. A rubber toy. Is that the dog or the musician? I'm not sure what David is currently doing up in space, but my dog is thinking this is an, a great time to chew on a giant piece of rubber. I'm quite impressed by right my, tea, my feet, actually, at the moment. I'm... I mean, it's early. <sighs> Bowie, this is not the time for that, honey. Nicole? Yeah? 
can you remove my dog from the premises? Oh god, there's a cat on my shoulder. Cat on shoulder. Cat. Oh, Beck, this is Nicole. Hi. Hi, Beck. She can't hear you, but I, I know. she knows you're saying hi. That's Caspian. Caspian. Nicole loves cats. I do. Hello, kitty. I've been taken over. Shoulder cat. This is going well. <laughs> um, so now that we've introduced our pets, <laughs> that's what you call a he's, segue. Should we introduce today's guest? Uh, ha- we should. should we, we should introduce yeah? stuff. Because, because of all of the introducing that we have done. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that's the greatest segue I'm I've ever I'm so heard. glad we're um, on the same page. So, author thanks. bio, is that you? That's me. There we go. Cool. So I will tell you who wrote today's book now (laughs) described as britain's greatest living novelist british author ian McEwan's books include enduring love atonement on chesil beach the children act and nutshell one of a generation of writers including martin amos and salman rushdie who established their literary credentials in the 1970s ian McEwan is a world-renowned writer whose novels have the rare gift of being as critically acclaimed as they are widely popular Born in 1948 in Aldershot, McEwen traveled widely as a child. His father was an army officer, before returning to study English at the University of Sussex. His first published fiction was a collection of unsettling macabre short stories, First Love, Last Rites, which won the Somerset Mulm Award. He followed that success with another critically acclaimed collection, Between the Sheets, and his first novel, The Cement Garden. Uh, And that is courtesy of Waterstones. Thank you, Waterstones. I walked past Thanks, one of your close establishments yesterday. I miss bookstores. Yeah. Um, I'm going to do the synopsopod. Uh, which, again, we this I swear like a few books that we've done this series. Like I think, again, because the film is... When you type in Google, Atonement, everything that comes up is the film. And you have to like go quite a long way to find a book. And I think when a film becomes the big story, ironically, mm. um, the the kind of interest, not the interest, but what's written about the book is either the lots and lots and lots of writing or not very interesting, not good enough. anything, because people are just like, oh, you surely just want to watch a film, right? Um, so I think I've discovered a future career for you that will pay absolutely nothing. But it's my um... favorite kind. You should be uh, a synopsis critic. Ooh. Because you're basically doing that already. Yeah, I could do that. Every I time we do, do this. That because I read synopsis. <laughs> you have a lot of opinions. Um, and I'm critical. So both of those things work for me. Um, so this synopsis is from Goodreads. Um, and it's the best one I could find, guys. Which is not saying Goodreads is not very good, but I'm making do. It's just that it is from Goodreads and was also the best I could find. On a hot summer day in 1935, 13-year-old Bryony Tallis witnesses a flirtation between her older sister, Cecilia, and Robbie Turner, the son of a servant. But Bryony's incomplete grasp of adult motifs and her precocious imagination bring about a crime that will change all their lives, a crime whose repercussions atonement follows through the chaos and carnage of World War II and into the close of the 20th century. I like that I'm one. I'm quite surprised how well I read that, you know, because I just well like done. totally one off take. the cuff. Didn't even pre-read it. Nailed it. <laughs> All down here from here, folks. Thank you very much. <laughs> Did some reading. 
I'm so proud. <laughs> I, I like that. That's a lovely. Yeah, so I thought it was quite sweet. I, I felt like it's it's a very back of the book synopsis, isn't it? It's the kind of thing that if I turned that over in Waterstones, bringing it back to you, I would buy that probably because I think I, yeah. I bought in. There's some names, there's some places, there's some stuff and things. I get what's happening. Boom. There's a war. There's a war. There's what there often is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's that's a thing that happens a lot. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I mean, I've had enough of this banter, so I think it's time to bring bring in a safety net of a third person yeah. to to just put us on better footing. Uh, so with that, I would like to introduce today's guest. Heidi Kellep has always loved to read and was, in fact, named after a book. Her mom loved Heidi by Johanna Speary and hoped that her daughter would grow up to be as lovely and friendly as the Heidi in the book. She says the jury's still out on that one. She wrote that. I did not. <laughs> uh, she studied English Lit at Loughborough University and then did a master's in 20th century literature at Leeds. So she's a smart like Beck. Uh, she is also a big wine lover, like Allison, <laughs> <laughs> and used to have her own wine school. She's visited vineyards all over the world, but her specialism is English sparkling wine, which she feels goes very well with a good book. I'm so confused by that last sentence. Welcome, Heidi. Thank you. Uh, so we're going to ask you, just get to know you as mm-hmm. a human being first, which is fun. Uh Beck, I don't know if you want, actually, I don't want you to start. <laughs> We've learned in the like preamble before we started recording that um, these two academics have a lot of <laughs> words in their heads. To Should say I about stop books. talking now? And then, yeah. Yeah. Okay, I'll just cool. like right. let you know when you're allowed to talk okay. because I know that, like, let me get my bit out of the way and then I'll just let you guys carry on. Should we come up with a code word now just between <laughs> us three so that when Alison needs us to shut up, she can say the code word? <laughs> Like, the safe maybe word. it's like, yeah, philanthropist. I don't know why I went with That's a philanthropist? That's a tough word. It is quite hard. Cookie! <laughs> I just shout cookie. You just like, yeah, if we're going on and on and you're like, what the fuck? Then you just say cookie! Cool. Sounds uh, good. All right, we'll do that. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um. All right, Heidi. Yes. I'm not going to ask you how lockdown's treating you because I'm tired of asking that question. Yeah. And you're probably yeah. tired of answering that question. We're all tired of that question. We've asked a lot of people that question and not to um, be unkind to all the people that we've asked, but none of your answers have been interesting. Um, <laughs> well, because there's nothing interesting to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> it's like the first couple were interesting and then after that, everyone was saying exactly the same yeah. thing. And we're like, mm-hmm, okay, cool, great, the end. Um, yeah. We'll so, just forget. We'll just forget this year of our lives ever happened, and we'll all move yeah, on. Yeah, I think that's the best way for it. I think as well. Um, what what would probably be preemptively kind is to forget the next year as well. <laughs> so, so rather than just like, well, for all twenty twenty, that's a write off. Let's just jump in there now. It's March. Let's just be like, oh, twenty twenty and twenty twenty one. That's a write off, and we'll pick it up down the line when things actually are better. Okay. Um, Otherwise, we're sending ourselves up to fail yet again. So just Whereas no this, pressure of, or expectations. Secret of success, my friend. This is how you do it. You just like you preempt shitness happening for longer than is necessary, and then you come out the other side looking yeah. looking really rosy. It's that kind of low expectations hmm. situation that we were talking about yeah. earlier. Yeah. yeah, much like this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> 
yeah, we're we're really really good mm-hmm. at setting low expectations yeah. of ourselves. Um, so I don't have any pre-written. Qu- well, I have one. Mm-hmm. You like wine. I like wine. I do like wine. Um, I have also been accustomed to wine. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I'm curious to know about that. I know that's not on brand with this podcast, but I just would like to know. Uh, yeah, sure. Could you just like tell us a little bit about this English sparkling wine situation? Because we are we are suspicious. Oh, really? Oh, okay. Interesting. So, yeah, English sparkling wine has been a thing, like a big thing, for probably mm, 10 years now. Um, and essentially, if you think about where Champagne is um, in France. And if you draw a line from Champagne to London, we're essentially all on the same um, kind of latitude. And essentially we're all on the same massive piece of chalk. So as you come into from France into the UK and you look at the White Cliffs of Dover, it's that massive line of chalk. And we're all sitting, so London, the Southeast and Champagne are all sitting on this massive piece of chalk. And it's the chalk that really makes um, champagne taste good. But there's lots about this soil, but also when we talk about climate, so climate is really what makes wine what it is. Champagne has a very, very, very similar climate to the UK. So ultimately, we can grow the same grapes as them and get the same style of wine as them. Um, And 20, 30 years ago, lots of people started doing that. It takes a long time for a vine to produce grapes that you can make into wine. So they will have started 50 years ago and then tra-la-la. But about 10 years ago, people started to really sit up and take notice because our winemakers had started really producing something quite fabulous. And we started doing blind taste testings between champagne and English sparkling. And people couldn't tell the difference. Um, And so... English sparkling started to get quite a name for itself. What wine would you pair with atonement and why? Interesting. That's a very interesting question. I would probably pair an English sparkling wine because where they live in the book, where the book is set, is very much on that line of chalk. And the house that they live in that then later on gets sold off to be a golf course could very well have been sold off to be an English sparkling wine vineyard. So that's where, and also it's my favourite. So Look at sure. that. <laughs> Look at that full circle. <laughs> Beautifully done. Um, Beck, just ask her about academic stuff. Are you sure? I, I mean, I yeah. don't have to. Um, no, I'm interested to know. <laughs> Please oh, pair every um, bit of uh, academia you have ever done with a wine, thus to bring <laughs> your old life and new life together. Um, so which wine would you put your thesis for your master's with oh that's a yeah. good question it's a good question we should probably tell the listeners what your thesis was oh yeah we'll say what was your oh yeah recording. sorry yeah so my master's thesis was on um the representation of the war experience in late 20th century literature so people who are writing books about the first world war but had never been there so how did how did they write about it also, how did people when who were there, how did they write about it? Because it was such a horrific time. How did you put that into words? So, yeah, it was all around how do you talk about something that hideous? So a wine to go with that, I'd say the writing of it uh, would have to be something really big and 
punchy and meaty, probably like a Bordeaux because A, that's where it all happened anyway. But also because that nine months of writing that thesis was such a hard slog. <laughs> but, um, to do it justice, you'd have to have a really intense, hard slog of a wine to get through it. Um, for reading it, I'd probably go with something really light and fresh like a Riesling. Um, mm, nice. Because... You just want to get through that as quickly as possible to get to the end because <laughs> it's it's not the funnest topic in the world to read about. So, how did I you like find that? Um, so I similarly did um, my undergrad in creative writing and English lit, and then my master's in writing. So very similar kind of step step up the ladder. Um, how did you find it changed the way that you read books and your relationship with? Just silly. I found it really hard to read fiction for such a long time because yeah. my relationship had been so academic. I did. And I probably didn't read a book for maybe a year after I left university just because it was four books a week for four years. Um, books you don't even like, which is really hard. The books you like, it's great. Like you get through those in no time at all. It feels like you're, you know, it feels you're so lucky. I see these people doing science degrees and I think, uh uh-huh, you got to do 40 hours a week in a lab. (laughs) That feels like work. (laughs) Check me out. I'm just reading a book. Um, But when you have a book that you really can't get on with and you have to get to the end of it and you have to get to the end of it in a certain amount of time, that is hard work. So yeah, I think I didn't read at all for about a year. I didn't read war literature, which is something I'm really passionate about and read a lot of. I didn't probably read that for maybe five years after the end of my thesis, Mm. just because I just couldn't enjoy it anymore I couldn't be objective about it anymore it was just too hard um so yeah the more time I've had away from from my studies the the easier that's become I'd say what happens now the sad thing now is I used to be really critical about the books I read now because I have so little time to read although more at the moment because of covid and whatnot um, and I tend to read snippets of bits on tubes and on trains and stuff is I tend to go for much easier books that I can just flick through like a bloody magazine because yeah. I don't have the mental capacity to um, give it the time and energy it deserves. So I don't tend to read difficult books anymore, which is a shame. Um, but I have had more time in COVID. So I've bought some really big punchy numbers to try and get my way through. But it's a skill learning to read quickly and learning to read um really in depth is a skill that you learn I think over time and then it's one of those that if you don't use it you lose it so I think I've lost it a lot now so. yeah I, I I mean I was exactly the same and I I, I was thinking about zero day actually because I equally have just I read much not easier books but simpler books like I was always obsessed with post-structuralism and modernism and um you just like fucking up language as much as you possibly could on a page to get like that that is my bag that's my jam that's what I want I, I want you to throw out every possible bit of punctuation mess all the letters up chuck them oh in the bag God, pick no. them out again pop them back on work it out for yourself lads that's what I want from a book no one um, needs to work that hard ever yeah ever. I love it I, I, I'm on Heidi's side on that I like it, it in small doses but it's hard like when I read all of these Big books fan. about punctuation like proper punctuation it I can't, my brain can't do Punctuation it. is there Sorry for a reason. Digress. It's there for a reason. <laughs> and it's there to make language easier. Oh, no. So why would you take now it Now you guys away? are going to fight. <laughs> this is exciting. Uh, I'm just, just here to like. I'm not entirely sure a literary fight is that, that exciting. I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I raise you a comma. Um, Ooh, I, I will uh... take your comma and raise you a colon. Do you know what? I love a semicolon. I just don't think they get used enough these days. It really upsets me. Like, where have they gone in literature? 
Is it just me? They've disappeared. I try and put as many semicolons into work as It's all the time. Comma, 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 comma. Like, what the hell is wrong with you? Whack a fucking semicolon on them, people. Yeah. I'm all over that. It drives me mad. Literary Wars, the new podcast. Such a big fan of semicolons. Being careful, what was I reading? I was reading Ema McBride, who I love. She wrote Girl is a Half-Formed Thing and Lesser Bohemians. But I started to read Lesser Bohemians a little while ago and it literally because my brain is so out of practice of reading mm. anything which isn't very much you know linear linear sentence structure but I, I literally was like 10 pages in I was like <sighs> deep breath okay nearly probably half of the book for my brain to be like bobbing along at the pace I would normally be because I'm so out of practice of reading things that aren't written in that really clear normative way um as much as I love things being played around with and experimented with um i don't i don't play around in that world enough Life's myself so these days for my brain just to like <laughs> so on. Short. Um, <laughs> i think you guys like both raise a really interesting point though that i've never quite considered and that this concept of like reading is sort of a muscle you have to exercise and if mm. you don't then you lose it because you don't you wouldn't think that it's you would think it's like riding a bike you would think like i know what words are I know what sentences yeah. are. I know a semicolon. Well, are you sure? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe not. But um, but I think I both of you kind of saying that. I think I realize like that's really true because you also think about, you know, Beck. You're talking about this kind of experimental modern, you know, style. But then there's also reading like Shakespeare or even like reading Jane Eyre. You know, they don't have to be as experimental as what Beck's talking about. But even just reading something from yeah. a few hundred years ago and the language is so different and it's really yeah. like wordy and mealy and like you you really gotta like dig to you know have it land the way it's meant to land yeah you've really got to get your and head I've in the game that. Yeah, you've, yeah 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 and you don't think of reading as being like a challenging thing like that but but i think you're both right i think it can be it's something we've not talked about before and i think it's really true i'm and I, it can really change concept. your experience of a book and change your job and there's been times when i've read something and i haven't put the effort in actually to sort of you know, I'm just like, I've just got to get to the end of this bloody book, whatever it is. And so I haven't put the effort into trying to work myself into its narrative in that way. If it's, you know, a bit different for whatever reason, whether it's Shakespeare or really old or really modern or whatever, somewhere in between. And I I just haven't really connected with it in the same way. And but I've got I'd to say, the end and, you know, it's I'd say not you can landed. do that anyway. So a book that really springs to mind for me is Normal People. So I read that because everyone was talking about it and I'm like, right, well, I better read it then because, you know, I can't be the person that hasn't read it. But it was so easy to read and I flicked through it in no time at all. No time at all. And I was like, don't get the hype. I don't see what everyone's talking about. You know, whatever. Yeah. Then I watched a TV adaptation and was like, oh, hang on a minute. Have I missed something? And I actually went back and reread it and I got so much more from it second time around. But first time I was just like yeah whatever like this is yeah. you know I don't get the hype it's all also I think I'm too old for it now sadly I'm not in my 20s anymore <laughs> I think it would have made more sense to me back then but um I just that's just like what a waste of time but I think it was because I've read it so quickly and I was probably yeah. a bit dismissive of it before I even started yeah yeah because yeah. I'm guilty of yeah. doing that sometimes as well I must read oh, it because everyone else says I have to read it but I'm not going oh, to enjoy 100%. it <laughs> yeah yeah oh, I'm the same yeah. well I even find that I even find that with doing this podcast like We've been really lucky in that we've, uh, I don't think, at least I haven't had the experience, not that we would admit it if we did, but we haven't been given a book yet. I've hated every single one. (laughs) (laughs) But we have, I mean, the nature of this podcast is if somebody loves it enough to 
to want to talk about it this yeah, much, yeah. then it, there's something in it. So whether or not it personally hits a, a chord with me is a different thing, but I can appreciate it. And then I all, I often find like even the books that didn't really land for me, like because Beck and I will have conversations while leading up to an, epi- like, an episode like, what the fuck is this about? What is this happening? And we'll be like bitching about how much we like don't even really like this character or this part. But then we get on the podcast and A, I'm not going to try to insult anyone about their choice of book when they've been generous enough to give us their time and, and it's something that's important to them. But I every single time we have that conversation, listening to their the reason that they chose it will always bring me around to, to realize something yeah. that I didn't think about before. Something we missed. You just, yeah, right? Yeah. That's, I mean... Huh, your own words is the whole thing, right? It's about your experience with that book and what it meant to you. And and hearing other people kind of give their experience of the same book and hearing like different things that people take away is just so interesting. Speaking of your own preferences and experiences with books, what? <laughs> this is terrible. Uh, it doesn't always have to be a segue. It's just nice when it is one. Um, before we get into the book you chose and and why you chose it and what it means to you, uh, we do have a very serious question that we must and ask. I'm so excited um, for this question. <laughs> are you? Because I'm never excited to ask it because... I'm super uh, chill about everything all the time. Yeah, so of course like, you are because so you historically are mm-hmm. always leading the game. People here. are really um, sensible, so... Listen, every time. So when it comes to a physical book collection... Um, Beck and I, as you probably have gathered by now, have very strong opinions and preferences about paperback versus hardback and or plinth, as Beck likes to call it, because you need a plinth to rest a large book upon whatever. <laughs> um, Heidi, where what what team do you do you fall on? What's your preference? Alison, I am well and truly on your side. I am hardback heaven, hardback every step of the way. There is and how do you hold? How do you hold your glass of wine whilst also holding your giant, giant heavy practice? Lots and lots of practice. (laughs) I am delighted. I'm literally like, I I didn't think. I didn't think that you. I mean, I actually at this point never think. There are some people that I kind of suspect. Like Gemma, our first guest of the season, chose Rebecca, is a super goth at heart like me. So I know she loves like a leather bound thing. That was easy for me to guess, but I had no idea with you. And yeah, I'm thrilled. I'm a, season I'm a three. Traditionalist. I'm back in the game. I'm a traditionalist. And I, um, I th- don't get me wrong, I read loads of paperbacks because, yeah, they're really transportable. And yes, I buy, bend the spine back and I turn over the paper and blah, 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 blah. When I have the hallowed turf or the hardback, I treat it with the utmost respect. <laughs> I do not turn the pages over. I use that wonderful thing that's so lost in society now called a bookmark. Uh, and every time I pick it up, like I just want to stroke it because it's it's weighty and it's meaningful. It and is if, weighty. And if I read a book, if I read a paperback, so I bought a paperback one day, I read it and I love it. I will then go back and buy the hardback because I want it in this answer in this tome i want it's it's handcrafted it's 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 weighty for a reason it's art it's it's just yeah i don't understand why you wouldn't want a hardback this is incredible you know what we don't even need to talk about atonement this was great guys thank you so much for coming (laughs) this is the best episode we've ever done such an experience (laughs) i learned about english sparkling wine well welcome to the correct team team plan thank you um 
I'm thrilled to have you. And You've I'm very proud got to some be here. Incredible people. I I just at this point really don't need you at all. You're disposable to me, so I'm I'm happy for you to join Alice. We can just really so clip through this people. bit really quick. We can just clip through yeah. the atonement thing really quickly. Get me off. It's not fun. This is great. See, actually joining my team means you know maybe she's less trustful of you now and you won't go off on a million tangents about academia oh god no one should ever trust me that's true (laughs) i've learned that over the last four years um so now that we've seen uh your beautiful plinth copy of atonement which i'm envious of because i have a paperback um talk to us about atonement can you tell us in your own words Mm -hmm. uh what is atonement about before we start, are we doing plot spoilers? Oh, I that's a good question. I think we're safe with this one because... It's been around for so long and there's a film. A lot of people and... have seen the film as well, yeah. So, um, Atonement is essentially the first part of the book. We meet Bryony. She's 13. She's quite precocious. Um, she's quite full of herself. God love her. Um, and she wants to be a writer. And she's currently roaming around in this absolutely massive country mansion which is owned by her family Um, and the first part of the book is following her throughout one day where family are coming to visit there's kind of an event happening in the evening and we see the world through through her eyes and we see how she feels as a 13 year old girl and how she's kind of on the cusp of what she sees as adulthood and she's kind of discussing the differences between being a child and being an adult And throughout that day, she sees a few encounters between her sister, Cecilia, who is uh, much older. She's about 20, 21. um, And Robbie, who is a childhood friend who lives um, on the on the property um, with his mum. And she sees a few events between those two. And she we see what she thinks about them and how she how she transcribes them in her head and how she makes sense of what she's seen without actually speaking to anyone. And then at the end of this first section, at the end of this first section of the book, uh, this family party happens in the evening. It's a dinner. Things go awry in that um, two family members, children, small children who are about nine, I think, eight or nine, they go missing. Um, And the whole family heads out to try and find them. But they're not really worried about them because they live on this massive country estate in 1930 something or another. And, you know, there's no harm coming to them. They'll find them. It's not a big problem. Uh, But what is a big problem is in searching for those boys, another family member who is 15, um, a little girl called Lola, um, gets raped. And at the end of that first section, we see Bryony telling the police who she thinks did it and why she thinks they did it. Um, She's just convinced herself that Robbie has done it. Um, And then we see the police take him away at the end of section one. The rest of the book is then looking at, moving forward, war is declared in Europe. It's now about 1940, I think 1941, something along those lines. And we fast forward and we see that Bryony is now 18 and training to be a nurse. We see that Cecilia is a nurse and living in London. And we see that Robbie is uh, trying to get to Dunkirk um, to get home um, in the retreat from from the uh, oncoming German army. And we just see where they are and we see how Bryony's decision to name Robbie as a rapist, um, has changed their lives and where they are later on. Um, and how actually she feels terrible about what she's done. Um, and it's about how people live with the things that have happened to them and how they live with the things that they've done and how they try and atone for their sins, hence atonement. 
I don't know if that's a great synopsis of the book, but that's kind of my thoughts on it. I think that's a brilliant one. <laughs> when did you first read it? I read it as soon as it came out. No, I read it as soon as it came out. So I think it came out in 2001, which means I'd graduated by then. Um, I asked for it for Christmas because I like Ian McEwan. I'd read a lot of his stuff Um, and I got it. It's interesting. I asked for it for Christmas on Boxing Day. I read it in one sitting uh, from start to finish and I was just floored by it. I just thought it was the most wonderful thing I'd ever read in my life. And I went downstairs sobbing. And my mum was like, why do you ask me to buy you these books, Heidi? Why do you ask me to buy them for you? Because every time I buy you this book and I think you're going to love it and you come downstairs sobbing your eyes out. She's like, I'm done. I'm done buying you books because all you do is cry. Well, Merry Christmas. <laughs> and you're like, but mum, it means it's a good book. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's, that's what I think for me, that's absolutely it. A book that makes me feel something really tangible. So if it makes me laugh out loud or if it makes me cry. Or if it makes me angry, which this book also does. Mm. Um, I think, what incredible writing to make words on a page from some person I've never met about a story, about people that aren't even real, can make me feel real emotions. I think that's, that's just such a strong book, really. It's just such a strong narrative. And that's what I loved about this one, because I can get really angry about this book. And there's very few books I get really angry about, but I'm angry about, I'm still 25 years later, angry about this book. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty angry. Yeah. I'd say. I mean, I this was my first time reading this. I know, back when did you read it? So I guess I would have read it 2004, I think. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, um, I, I mean, I'd heard the name. Mm. I knew there was a film. I hadn't seen the film either before this, and we will touch on that, of course. Well, but let's let's give the book its dues first um and yeah like viscerally angry viscerally angry and frustrated and but there's also I think for me um it, what was hard for me in my experience of like reading Bryony's uh kind of mind is that I was a pretty precocious and very self-righteous child and so I saw bits of my childhood self in her. And so as much as I was angry at her, I was almost, I was angry that I was identifying with some of that personality um, as a, as a child who thinks she knows everything and Um, is really, really just doubling down on something that turns out to be false. I mean, thankfully I never did anything this destructive to anyone (laughs) in my childhood, but I could have done I could see it you know how it could happen so that for me was an interesting uh you know thing that came up and it's really funny you said that actually because I hadn't really put two and two together for me on that one but I wouldn't say I was a particularly confident child I lived in my head a lot and I read a lot I've always read like I've, I've always had my head in a book and I did, have, I had the imagination that Bryony had and I certainly make shit up in my head. Um, and in my head, I thought I was way more important and way older than I actually was. Um, and yeah, like you say, I didn't do anything like anything close to, to what she's done. But I mean, Bryony's 13 when we first see her and I see her as 13 throughout the novel. And um, yeah. for me, I hate her. I hate her with a passion. And it's really interesting how I can hate a 13 year old girl. And I've never really kind of understood that. Like, how, how can I hate her? And I don't forgive her. I don't think she's atoned for her sins at all. I think she's, no. she's nonsense. I think she's ridiculous. I think 
she's shameful. I think she's disgusting. I'm just, I hate her. <laughs> but now looking back on it, yeah, maybe I hate her because also there's I can see myself in her. I mean, yeah. it, it, that's that's a thing, right? It's especially girls, young mm. girls. I mean, I can't speak for young boys. Uh, I, I don't think they are as aware of it as, as young girls are, but we really think we know what's up. Like, we really think. Like, I look back at, like, my diaries as, oh. like, a 13-year-old. Oh, my God. All the opinions I had about my parents and what they were doing wrong and just, like, when I'm 18, like, thinking 18 was old, you know, I'm going to get out of this city and, you know, I'm going to take over the world. Like you really, we really feel like that. I don't think I've ever met a woman that doesn't have some, some form of that experience yeah. as a, as a preteen and teenage like girl. Oof, that hurts. Actually, that so, hurts. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. But I mean, we've all got that. Right. Yeah. And then we spend the rest of our lives trying to, <laughs> to come to terms with it. But um, I think we, for- but- we, we forget though, how awful we are as children and teenagers i was in the park the other day when there were loads of kids and i was like good lord they are awful aren't they and then i remember <laughs> that i was one once and i think oh i was never like that <laughs> i was yeah, never like were. these kids i was never like this child character or this whoever it is because we we just assume that we were better than the things that annoy us about other people whether they're fictional or not we just assume like oh surely when i was that age I would never have done this. I wasn't like this. I wasn't this inch. I wasn't, you know, I just wouldn't have had the audacity to behave like that. But I kind of think if the situation arose, I reckon I could have found the audacity to be (laughs) not far off from Viley. I just, you know, because I was a 13-year-old girl. And because I read it, I guess I was 17 maybe when I read it. So not far off. And I do kind of remember feeling like, yeah, I kind of get how she's how this has played out. I, I don't remember. I I didn't like her, but I didn't hate her as bitterly as you do. Um, but I think because I was a little bit closer to her in age, it mm. kind of it just kind of made sense to me. You know, I was still hanging out with fifteen, sixteen, like people that weren't far from that, and I'd only not just stopped being a teenager, yeah. thirteen, mm. fourteen, year old teenager, and so it kind of made sense to me. She was behaving like. I knew that we all behaved and we still all behaved like that when we were 17. We were really fucking annoying. You know, we (laughs) thought we knew everything. We thought we had the answers. We thought when someone had done something wrong, we thought we had the answer to make it better because we knew better and we were going to tell you. And I can kind of understand how it happened. That I could, that I can't, there's lots of things we can really have a good old dig at her parents here as well because, you know, Mm. um, they've allowed her to go along with whatever and it's interesting because you don't see her talking to the police and you don't see that they talk about it later on but the weeks of questioning where they keep asking her do you want to change your mind do you want and she says no 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 i don't want to change my mind um i this is the story and i'm sticking to it um but i would have been petrified to speak to a police officer at 13 because my parents would have told me that you know this is very serious business and um yeah i would have been pretty petrified so this I'm going to segue now. So this brings me to another <laughs> to another part of the book for me, which actually is how quickly people believe that Robbie's the rapist, even though mm, he's yeah. been in their family, they've been paying for him to go to university. He's been he's almost another one of their children. Yet very quickly they are happy to accept that 
he raped Lola when he's never displayed anything like this before. They've they've trusted all their children to to play with him, to spend time with him. They've all seen the the interaction with him and, and the other kids and whatnot. And that for me is because it doesn't matter. He's he's in a dinner suit at the time. He's in a tux. He's just graduated from from Cambridge, yet still he's working class. He's working class, yeah. and that is a is a label f- that he will never be able to shirk off because. You know, that's where he came from. It's not his money. He was you know, benefacted to go. And for me, it's a, this is such a this is about the war, but it's also about the class war that was happening at the time. It still goes on today, really. Um, but yeah, it's how quickly they were to turf him out of the house and not say, well, hang on a minute. Who else could it have been? And could Lola have been lying? Is yeah. the other one because she's a precocious little cow and all. Yeah. So it's yeah. <laughs> for me. I, I definitely, I think, I definitely remember, especially reading it that first time. I definitely felt angry at the all of the adults. Yeah. I felt, I felt angry at the adults for raising these brats. For one thing, like yeah. just give teach them all some of them. fucking manners. Like you're yeah. not better. Like this idea that all of these like little kids. It, well, I, anyone that's under 18, you know, they haven't established themselves as a real person, are wandering around thinking that they're better than someone else purely because of some status that has been placed upon them by their parents. And the way that the parents, that everyone goes along with this 13-year-old, she's 13, she's not a reliable witness. What the fuck are you doing? And yeah. you're making her feel more and more important because she's the key to everything. Yeah, you're feeding, that, you're that, feeding me, her. You're feeding it. Yeah. So I kind of, that for me, I was like, I was not as angry at Bryony for that. I was just like, it's just, what are these adults doing? Yeah. You know, and they're not questioning anything else because they're better than because what it comes down to is I have this status that you don't have. And what that means, because you are a lower class than me, is that you're you're a lower person than me, really. So if someone says something that you have done, which is the kind of thing that a lower person would do, I'm going to believe it because that's what you are. Even if the person saying it is some 13 year old little brat who's making up stories in their head all the fucking time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think why I then go on to hate her, I can kind of forgive that she was 13. I think, let's go on to why actually we should all hate her. Um, Yes, please. I mean, I went to an all-girls school, so I'm really, there is no like, there's all hate and no hate. But anyway, (laughs) um, why I then have so much venom for her later on is this posturing just continues. She's been Mm -hmm. thinking about it ever since. She knows she's done it, she's done wrong. But she just continues to think. So she acted at 13 and then has continued to think and has done nothing about it. Even though she was a child then, she's an adult now. She sees the impact that it has caused her sister and, and Robbie. And she does nothing. And she pretends she's protecting people and she pretends she's, oh, it's not going to make any difference. It doesn't matter if Robbie had to go back to prison. It doesn't matter if no one ever forgave him and her family. It does. All she needed to say to her parents was, you know what, I got it wrong. And had to say to her sister was, I'm really sorry. And had to say to yeah. Robbie was, oh God, I'm so sorry. I cannot oh, yeah, I take agree it back, with you there. I'm sorry. I hate her and there completely. She, yeah, brilliant, thanks. <laughs> Total, she, Total she, hatred. And even at the end, when she's in her 70s, And this whole bit about her writing a book about their lives together so she could give them something wonderful. Oh, fuck off. It's it's still about her. It's It's still still about her. It is all about her. (laughs) She has not learned one lesson 
she no. she's gone on it's to very it's all very to. performative it's like i'm also a victim yeah in yeah. this yeah and it wasn't my fault i was a child see from this book what i just did write for you about poor me <laughs> and this book that everyone now loves me for because of this book what i wrote for you it's all for She's you 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 yeah it's and yeah. then she goes on to say oh and you know i can't publish it until paul marshall is dead and lola marshall is dead and you know i'll be dead before then so i won't even see it get published sadly oh piss yeah. off piss off <laughs> It's just, it's just got. Well, that's the thing, right? Apologizing her. and atoning yeah. is not meant to be about you. But also, they're two very th- different things. She hasn't yeah. apologized. I don't think she's atoned either. She hasn't said, I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. And she hasn't done anything to make up for her sins. She's just gone through life thinking, oh. I think oh, this no, is the I thing which. Thing. This is where, like, because I think we can all understand how. Um, a child can make a mistake. Like we can yeah. all understand that. We can understand how anyone can make yes. a mistake, Absolutely. but we can definitely understand how a child can make a mistake, and even how that child then, because they suddenly got police and all this attention, is just like, oh crap, I better keep saying the same thing because shit, you know. And so we can kind of understand how that narrative just continues for a little while because it's a child. But what what makes you really angry about this book is that journey of atonement which isn't a journey of atonement at all. It's a journey of someone deceiving themselves into believing they're better than they are because they can't confront the fact that they're not a very good person. Yeah. And, and she, they, they can't take yeah. that responsibility. And this like performative like self-flagellation of like, oh, well, now I'm going to go and be a nurse and I now I've seen all of these horrible things and all of these war, you know, veterans coming home and um, I've I've really like, you know got stuck into this horrible thing and it just doesn't it doesn't land for me because I think I'm just to go a little I mean I suppose if someone's listening that hasn't read this book or seen the film you know in the beginning she Bryony witnesses this interesting scene at a fountain in which a vase is broken and Cecilia takes off half her clothes and jumps in and this this is a, a bit of a sexual awakening between Robbie and Cecilia who haven't yet acknowledged to themselves and each other that there's there's feelings there, right? Um, okay, that's a shocking thing for a 13-year-old to see, of course. Then she walks in on them uh, mid-coitus in the library. Um, and once again, how shocking when you've but seen this thing earlier. But she doesn't understand what that is. She, thinks she, yeah. she doesn't understand her. what yeah, that is. Yeah. And there is a letter. There is a letter. <laughs> as well, with a word... That is questionable. Uh, an accidental letter that Robbie did not mean for anyone to see that is very lewd. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't offend Cecilia because it makes her realize makes her that really she horny. doesn't hate him. It's what it does. It makes her, yeah, it leads to the library. It right, really does. For everyone. But there, there's this moment where I'm, I'm, I'm upset at Cecilia and Robbie because they just walk out and don't say anything to the yeah. poor girl, right? So there's still a point there for redemption. There's still a point there where I can be like, you're not the only person that could have handled this better, right? Um, I but, disagree. But then... Okay, cool. I mean, you disagree. A little, Please. yeah. Just because, you know, in 1935, I think it is... Fair. You wouldn't talk about that at all, which is the problem. No. It's just the problem because they, they're not talking about their emotions Anyone, anyone, no one's talking about anything. No one's yeah, talking yeah. about what happens between a man and a woman. So you see Robbie while he's in in coitus, <laughs> in the act, he's thinking, oh my God, is this okay? Oh my God, is this right? I've never done this before. Does this even matter? And then it says, you know, his his 
it, just the sexual urges take over his body and all of a sudden him and Cecilia who's never done it before either they've never talked about it they find their own rhythm because we're all animals at the end of the day blah 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 but they don't talk about it they never yeah, talk yeah. about how they feel at any point we don't see them talk about it and so to be caught doing that in the library would have just been a whole sense of shame and embarrassment yeah, yeah. and they don't know that Bryony's sitting there thinking oh he's attacked her they're just like oh yeah. god let's pretend this didn't happen yeah yeah. But no one's Which, talking to, to each fair, other. You would now as well. I feel like, I feel like, I mean, if I if I found myself in a situation where, where you're shagging in a library, a, a small child. Well, I mean, where else? A small child <laughs> sounds great to in. me. All the things I love in one place. <laughs> it, I don't think I'd be like, oh, oh, do come here, small child, and let me tell let you me about, tell you about sex. that. <laughs> Let me tell you about what we were just doing yeah, with my mum next door. I think that might be worse, you know, if I try, if I started trying mm, to sort of... I, I would also be really embarrassed and really like, shit, what the fuck, there's a kid here, shit. But then also I wouldn't want to confront them with that conversation. Yeah. And you never know, had the situation been different, she might have gone to her the next day yeah. and said listen yeah, yeah. that thing you saw exactly. yesterday yeah. can we can we just quickly talk yeah. about that because they're sisters and they might talk about things like that you don't know but certainly in the moment when the fam- they shouldn't have been doing what they were doing anyway and the family are just next door and they're all yeah. ready to sit down for dinner you don't just say listen keep that quiet from mum over the dinner table won't you because yeah. we'll just have a quick shag like <laughs> yeah, yeah it would have been a very long conversation this is what we were doing oh this is what sex is oh this is what happens between a man and a woman oh yeah okay, okay. it just would have been too long a conversation yeah. at that moment let me time. tell you about consent <laughs> yeah. yeah um yeah right it's... and of course they they don't know as well that she saw them earlier and that no. she's already formulated yeah. this fantastical theory of what's going on so that plus the letter equals yeah. sex maniac yeah yeah. He's going to attack my sister. Yeah. How could they have possibly anticipated that? Yeah. Also, to be know. fair, that's like more things that than would lead to someone being identified as a sex maniac now. <laughs> that's quite that's quite a lot of steps in the narrative to get to sex pest. Whereas these days it's just like on Twitter, <laughs> you know. Yeah. yeah. So, well, I yeah. think I think still if someone sends you a dick pic and you've only known them two seconds and that's still that's sex pest territory in my yeah mind. that that yeah. that is Just definitely saying. within the margin for any of the men out there listening on four weeks yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, four weeks, weeks. Dear, any of the men out there listening <laughs> don't send dick pics yeah don't please don't, don't. Do it. Yeah. no one cares yeah. nobody wants to like, see cause it because also like I don't know if you've noticed lads uh, but it's not the most attractive of the organs no. So I, you know, no yeah. one wants to Sorry. see it any when they want to see it, let alone uninvited on their telephone yeah. screen. Yeah. It's not a visual. It's not a visual. It's not the most not artistic visual. one. You know, yeah. it's not got like <laughs> it's not got the angles or delicacy of say a foot or an elbow. It's just. <laughs> You know, there's nothing going on there that anyone needs on their phone. I've got pictures of cats on my phone. Yeah. Color, light, grace, penis. Not so, not so much, much any of those things. Nah, not so much. Um, I also, I'm glad we cleared that up. <laughs> I wanted to yeah. go back to what you were saying about um, how she didn't say sorry and as she became a nurse. Because I also, I think it's really important that people know that if you've done something wrong, what you don't have to do is go off to war and patch up the legs that have flown off people because of bombs. It's a lot easier if you just take responsibility and say sorry <laughs> to the person that you've hurt. I agree. Public so service anyone, announcement. But you Public know, just I just feel like that's really important that people aren't like, oh crap, I ate the last of the cheese. Oh, better go off to war. You know, yeah. like just take responsibility. 
just and, it, and I think as well this is part of that same conversation because especially in the 30s 40s 50s also recently people don't speak openly about their emotions no. they don't speak openly about the wrongs that they have done because of shame and guilt and embarrassment and humiliation so they don't know what to do they bottle it up and they just try and find a way to express that in a way which yeah. is either to deny or deny or you know come up with go off to bloody war and patch people up because they feel like they're doing something or become destructive where you know there's all these layers where people don't know how to express don't know how to take responsibility and so they end up doing something which does none of those things for anyone and probably causes them pain and the other person pain when actually all you need to do most of the time is just say do you know what I'm really sorry that I hurt you I'm really sorry I did something wrong I fucked up I'm so sorry and it's and that simple. And she can't put it right. That's the thing. And I think that's yeah. what keep because she can't put it right. But at the same time, there are things you could have done. You can't wipe away his his criminal yeah. record, but you can tell his her parents, Cecilia's parents, yeah. so that they yeah. don't hate him so much, and that you can maybe try and get on with a semblance of a normal life once this is all over. And I wrote some notes before I came on, just like thinking about how I felt about the book and stuff. And one of the things I wrote was this. The book's really about truth and honesty and about how sometimes some of those things are really difficult and complicated and shocking in lots of ways. So um, Robbie's love for Cecilia is really shocking because he writes this shocking letter and it's just a shock for everybody. Like truth can be quite shocking sometimes. Yeah. But ultimately, if you don't own that, if you don't own the truth, then it will just, it will just consume you yeah. like later on. And I think I that's what happens to Bryony. I think it just consumes her and she doesn't know what to do with it. So she uses it she just makes excuses rather than saying sorry she just makes excuses excuses and she thinks at the end that we're all gonna oh yeah we totally get it oh what a lovely thing you've done writing this book for them when actually I just think I'll screw you just screw you (laughs) I think (laughs) you're not worth my time one of the problems with truth and honesty is that you're what is true for you yeah and true for someone else they might be the same story but they are also two very different sides of the coin because to tell the truth to his parents would also be admitting a truth about herself which she is uncomfortable with and unable to manage and that's the difficulty because it becomes whose whose truth am I able to share whose truth am I big enough to carry you know and it turns out that it's not Robbie's it's it's because her inability to acknowledge and hold and own her own truth is far greater than telling that same truth to relieve the burden of someone else well that's it she's created she's created her own she's created her own reality essentially so she can go on living um yeah and then just when she's learned you know she's she knows she's about to die she's like oh well great i'm glad i got i'm glad i got to tell the story as i think it should have been told (laughs) oh all right love <laughs> because at, at that point, that's still her perspective. It's still right? her perspective. I mean, the, yeah. the way this the way this story is told it's so beautifully, the way it's written, really puts you in that that space of seeing it through m- the same event, yeah, through multiple people's eyes, and how very different that is. Yeah. So, in the end, for her to think, well, I've done the world a favor by telling the truth, but still telling the truth as I experienced it. Oh, and and <laughs> you know that's that's not helpful because that's still just your experience yeah. of what happened and it's not Robbie's and it's not Cecilia's yeah. um they they are you know thank goodness half the book is told from from Robbie's Someone perspective else, and you yeah. get to to experience him as a person and you experience this war um through through him um 
Cecilia's in smaller bits. She's not fleshed out as much, um, apart from in the very beginning. But but otherwise, yeah, like I wouldn't want to read the entire book from her perspective no. because she's just – there's unlikable characters that you will still read, you know? I mean, we talked about this on Rebecca. We are like, are any of these characters actually likable? Like you just want to smack everyone a bit. But the story is good and, and it's compelling enough that you go along with it to see what will happen. Whereas here, if it was just Bryony, just the entire bloody time – I don't know if I would have bought in as much. I don't know if I would have been as invested. But I I think as well, like, often the most interesting stories we have to tell are the ones where we're the the least, um, least on our best behavior, maybe, you know, we're the least good. Like, they're often the ones which end up with the, the most interesting or funny or, like, they're the most fun to tell because they're not the like, oh, I bumped into a gentleman the other day and I said, how do you do? And we both went on our way. Like, it's, that's not as interesting as, I don't know. The villains I, always get the best part. Right? Yeah. it's and, it, yeah. Like, There's only so far you can, if the story had been, oh yeah, I walked in on my sister. I didn't really know what was going on. It was all a bit weird. Don't know. Anyway, then this awful thing happened and I really don't have any thoughts or opinions on that because I don't know the answers. So that's the end of that. Bye. And I think you've really hit the nail on the head for why I love this book so much and why this book really works for me. Because, as you said, Alison, like it's a beautifully written book. It's 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 a great story. But actually, if it were to end three pages earlier, you wouldn't think much about it. It certainly wouldn't be book nominated. Like it it'd just be it's a great story, beautifully written. It really transports you to to the times that, you know, to thirty five to this hot summer day in nineteen thirty five, and then to the um to, to Dunkirk and then to her as a nurse. It really transports you. It's a lovely book to read, and everyone else in the book mainly is quite nice characters. It's great. And everything's fine. And then the last section of the book, I think it's ten pages, but actually it's the last three paragraphs that all of a sudden you find out that everything you've read is not true. And that winded me like there was no tomorrow. And because it's right at the end and it's those last three paragraphs and you shut the book and you shut the book and you think, what the fuck just happened to me? What just happened? Because I then felt like, however I've been reading, I don't know, eight hours or whatever, I just felt like everything was a lie. And I almost wanted to start it again just to make sure that I got it right because I felt so blindsided I felt like the rug had been pulled underneath from underneath me and that must have been how Robbie felt it must have been how Cecilia felt it was just this smack in the face of oh my god the writer was doing something else completely whilst I'm on this lovely journey of oh this you know 1935 hot summer day I'm on this journey the writer is somewhere else and the writer is sitting there ahead of me going (laughs) and it just I have never had a book that has made that's punched me in the gut so much and has made me think what the fuck just happened I've never this never happened to me before and then when the film came out a few years later Mm. and I've read the book quite a few times and I watched the film the film did it to me again because I was so caught up in the beauty of the film and the story and it was all lovely and I kind of forgotten about that. I kind of knew what was coming, but I didn't really think about it because I was really enjoying the film. And then in the guts again, because now it's a visual representation. It's not just in my head anymore. It's on screen. And the way they they did that, what a beautifully... beautiful way to to, to tie into talking about the adaptation because for once, they made a film of a book and it does it beautiful justice yeah. like it is it is on point it is true to what i've read yeah 
the ending is done obviously in a very different way, yeah. but I actually love the way they do the Me ending. Too. Um, because it's a bit, there's a bit too much going on in the, in the book, in the end with the, uh, everyone gathering together in the play. Like, I loved it. I love that kind of tie-in, but I think it it almost the way they do it in the film, which is just this very stark yeah. interview of, of an adult, an, an elderly Bryony, just kind of revealing, uh, you know, that gut punch is so stark and it hits you so hard. Yeah, it does. Um, I watched it this this past week uh, with my flatmate, Nicole, who had not read the book, but was up for watching the film with me because we had heard such good things about the film. It's it's won many awards. It's a, you know, everyone knows Atonement is a great film. And what a film. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> maybe she'll allow me to post the picture on our Instagram when this episode comes out of her at the end. First of all, she hated Bryony. She was shit-talking Bryony throughout the entire thing. <laughs> yes. and like, oh, what? You think that's going to solve? Like, just... <laughs> just smack talking the entire time and i'm just sitting there like you don't even know you don't even know how bad this is um because of course we get some lovely heartwarming moments where we feel like there's some some justice some some good karma that comes through that turns out maybe not not to be the case in the end and when that was revealed she basically like when the film ended because it is very abrupt right yeah you get that rug pulled out from under you and then it's over And I was prepared for it, having just read the book as well, right? So I knew, and I was keen to see how they would do it. Loved how they did it. She basically just slid off the edge of my bed and just hung her head down. And she has not forgiven Ian McEwen yet. (laughs) Um, She was like, my list is now like Piers Morgan. Um, You know, Ian McEwen is in there, you know, and and whoever we're pissed at. And interestingly, why the adaptation is so good is he had such a heavy hand in it as well. So he's he's responsible for both the film and the book. So yeah, we can hate him. That's that's fine. It makes such a difference when the writer is involved in the adaptation of a bit. Like you can really tell. Like even I remember watching it in the cinema, um, and it wouldn't have been long after I'd originally read the book and just within like a few minutes I remember leaning over to my friend I was like Ian McEwan write this right because <laughs> I could just tell I could just feel it, it yeah. I you know I've seen so many adaptations and they feel different something about them feels different but literally within a few minutes it felt if it just felt right it moved in the right way I felt like the pacing was right it yeah. it was the book on screen rather yeah. than a version of the book adapted to tell a story in a visual medium. It felt the same to me. I felt like I was in the same world. And I think yeah. there's something about, you know, that moment when when everything goes to shit and you think, what the fuck, I've just been lied to for ages. Um, I think, you know, that, that bit does really make every single moment of that book mean something more to me because of yeah. course, because that is what has just happened to so many people and that is how it feels to have your life with i mean in this case it's the book turned upside down but your life turned upside down yeah. everything you, you expected because of one moment one yeah. moment turns your whole life up to the upside down and it changes your relationship with everyone and everything and that's what the book does yeah 
And that's what happened to the characters in the book. And that happens in life all the time. Yeah. You're bumming along and you think everything's fine. And then one moment and you're like, what the fuck? And it yeah. changed your yeah. perspective. And it, and goes, it's an and it makes ability. You, yeah. And it makes you, that one perspective in, in life or whatever, it makes you think, how could I have avoided this? Or what could I have mm. done differently? And yeah. I think when we then look back on the rest of the book or reread the book again, and it's Bryony thinking, what could I have done differently? How could yeah. I? But for me, she misses the mark. Told the truth. The, yeah, because she doesn't. She can't do anything differently. But she could have done. Yeah, from the beginning. Yeah, but she could have done something differently for yeah. the next seventy you, years. You could have just told the truth. I think that's that's the frustrating because there are moments, of course, in life a, and in yeah, you in watch books. back or read back and say here, you know, here, yeah. here, here. There, there are genuine times when you couldn't have done anything else, and you had you know a sort of like. Sophie's choice of, of life happening in front of you. Uh, but in this, what's frustrating, especially if you reread it or if you watch the film and book in quite quick succession, you're sort of like, oh, well, here's an opportunity for you, love. What are you doing? Yeah. Having a cup of tea? So <laughs> having a cup of tea, are you? You could just tell the truth here, though, aren't you? I think, and also I think the amount of energy she puts into writing this fictional book, and I only kind of got that when I just read it before coming onto, uh, onto the podcast, because I reread the book, obviously, before coming on. Um is she gets in touch with, she exchanges letters with um, Private Nettle. I'm sorry, but this is not trying to understand what happened to him. This is delving into every single aspect, speaking to everyone she knew that he came into contact with to understand what happened to him. So she investigates, so intensely investigates everything. And even after he and Cecilia are dead, she could still go to her parents and tell them what happened, but she doesn't. Yeah. She could have written her book then, but she doesn't. But she it's waits. because what she she's waits. actually doing is trying to vindicate herself. Yeah, the yeah, whole totally. book. The reason yeah. that she's it's like so she's obsessed, obsessed with yeah. this thing. She's and, trying and to find a way to get created. herself out of it. She's not trying to find a way to put it right for him. She's trying to find a and loophole also see, where she see can be the like, full impact. Yeah. yeah. And and the other thing that really got my goat as well, and then let's stop talking about her because, you know, She's fictional. Um, <laughs> the other thing that really got my goat is when she says, oh, and you know, I've sent all the letters off to the British War Museum. I've sent Robbie and Cecilia's love letters to the Imperial War Museum. A, how the hell did you get your hands on them? They're not for you. And B, who gave you permission to give them to a museum where everyone can read them? Like, it's yeah. I just, you're just yeah, doing it again. I would argue reading a private letter that wasn't meant for you may have gotten you into this fucking yeah. mess. Yeah. Maybe stop. Maybe stop. Oh, oh, she's, I'm so she's a boy she is. <laughs> it's a federal offense to open someone else's mail, young lady. Yeah. But she is fictional, but I do agree that she makes us look look at ourselves and think how would yeah. we have reacted or how could we have done better or you know what yeah. I am I'm better than that because I would have been a better person but maybe maybe it is the mirror we all need to look at i don't know i i like to think that i'm a better person um and i you know i i would probs put money on it i think (laughs) if there there were a little a little wager going in william hill i'd probs like to think do you know what i i reckon i could do better i'm gonna go me over bryony but also, I'm no longer 13, and um, yeah, you know, I. She's 77 also, at the end, and it's still. She a does grow. <laughs> that's the thing, isn't it? Like you could kind of, yeah. you could let her off if it all happened in that world of 13, because you can understand how and why children behave in the way that they do. But it's yeah. because she grows, but she doesn't emotionally. She doesn't that's grow. the problem. Yeah. She, she just grow. gets mm-hmm. older, but she's still 13 year old Bryony, and that's yeah. the problem. 
because yeah. there is no development there's no growth all she's doing the whole time is trying to weasel her way out of having to admit that she fucked up that's that's, that's it what or dick. how can i admit oh, that i, I fucked up in the way that makes me look on the best some people well such a yeah. good person. i mean this to be fair though to to like wrap this up it's it's tied itself up in an in beautiful little bow and that you know what you said at the beginning is how much you love a book that makes you feel things so intensely and look how angry we are getting at this fictional 13 year old to 77 year old girl slash woman like we are sitting here talking about it and viscerally angry actually upset at something that is not real um and so I, that's a testament to I think the, um, McEwen's writing. Overriding, you know? I think the lesson from this book, um, because of how angry we all feel about this, essentially it's one mistake that one kid made. The lesson from this book, um, when we go through it, is how easily it is, um, how easy we can make a mess of something when we're not just honest. Yeah. And how long mm. that mess can last and how much mm. it can destroy. When like we've said there's so many times that there was the opportunity i mean even right at the beginning just to like don't say anything if you don't know but there's so many times after that to say do you know what i made a mistake and i am sorry yeah and that's such a simple thing to do and we forget how simple it is sometimes because it often feels like the biggest thing in the world because it means taking responsibility for ourselves in a way which makes us uncomfortable but actually this book is a great lesson in but you know what? I'd rather be a little bit uncomfortable for like five minutes than spend however many years, 64 years, Math. feeling well shit and other yeah. people feeling shit and lives being ruined. Yeah. When I could have yeah. just been honest and apologized. Yeah. And no one would have thought about it again. You know? Yeah. This episode is a, a, in, has taken us on an incredible journey. We've got wine knowledge we've got muscular book memory book reading memory muscle memory something like that uh we've gone on a journey of you know a literary journey and also on a journey of morality and ethics and you know there's a lesson here this is this is a significant episode i think say sorry kids say sorry (laughs) just say sorry yourself and, also, and parents know... don't raise a brat because it like yeah. really does not end well. <laughs> and I know, careful with your pottery. Also, a lesson. Absolutely, especially your Ming, your Ming vases. <laughs> but I know, and I know, I know this is your podcast. Um, but you know, and I know you're going to ask me at a moment where a quote from the book. But I think what we were talking about was such a lovely segue into my quote for the book. Can I oh, go please, into my quote? Please do take that rain from us. So my quote for the book is. A person is, among all else, a material thing, easily torn, but not easily mended. Yeah. That was also a perfect segue. Well done. You're very good. Do you want to just come oh. and join the panel? Yeah. <laughs> There's. We can have three hosts. Why not? I'll just listen. Um, cool. I got goosebumps. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah I, that's absolutely. a perfect, perfect quote. Perfect, perfect. quote. And, um yeah, it's not yeah. worth it. It's just not worth it. No, None of it it's is not. worth and it for yeah, anyone. Once, no, once you hurt people, it's easy to do. But yeah, you've, it's, a, it's a tough journey to, to mend people afterwards. To repair it and to earn trust back and 
Yeah. Respect from other people, but also from yourself. From yourself. Well, unless you're Oof. really, really. Learning respect from yourself. That's a whole other podcast. That's Jesus a lifelong Christ. journey. That's a different podcast entirely. <laughs> I am not prepared to answer how to do I'm that. I'm going to need to put some Aretha on and get a Merlot. Um... Yeah. <laughs> Just take a long, hard look in the mirror, kids. <laughs> So what uh, what wine would you pair with uh, with with sorrow? You know, I'm discovering yourself respect. I, I think the only answer to that is several, several wines. All the wine. And I also think um, I also think really cheap nasty wine because you deserve it. Like. Yeah, yeah. If you are Bryony, it's Lambrini for Christmas every Christmas, and you don't even get to choose if it's rosé or white. Yeah, and and it's and it's vinegar at Easter. That's that's it. That's it. Oh. Your emotional terroir is sour, my friend. Oh, I like that. I like that. That's an emotional terroir. I made, I made a literary wine joke. I loved Who it. Who knew it could happen? It's good. I love my mind is blown. <laughs> this is amazing. I feel like we need you back on, or we you need to be like a recurring. Or we just, just need pair, to go to a pair wine, wine bar. with everyone. <laughs> oh my god! In the aftertimes, let's just meet up for wine. Go, yeah, go and have wine, shall and we? Yeah, of course, absolutely. Perfect. <laughs> Uh, well, I mean, that's the perfect note to, to wrap it up with. Uh, Heidi, this has been amazing. It's Thank been you so wonderful. much. Thank you so much for having yeah. me. I've loved every second. Wonderful thing. Can that's I put, too. can I put a hat and glasses on and come back as a different person next time and do it again? Yes. Absolutely. I same mean, the book, good thing wine. is you don't even, you don't even have to put on a hat and glasses because no one can see you. Hurrah! <laughs> you can put on a funny voice if you want. Okay. <laughs> Can I talk about Captain um, Corelli's mandolin next time? <laughs> sure. I've not read that. Surprise. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I've not read anything. Um, thank you for your book. Thank you for your candor. Thank you for your thank wine. Thank you for your wine recommendations. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to get some English sparkling wine soon. Do it. Um, do you have anything you want to plug? Do you have any like socials um, you want to follow you If you are interested on? in wine, I do have a website, sadly neglected, haven't neglected, haven't done anything on it for years, but it's a bit of an education into wine and it's HeidiOnTheLees.co.uk. So on the lees is the way of maturing sparkling wine or aging sparkling wine. So what I'm saying is I'm aging because uh, I'm Heidi on the lees. So it's um, H-E-I-D-I-O-N-T-H-E. L double E S Heidi on the leaves.co.uk if you're interested at all in, in English wine or wine at all. Well, I am now. Yeah. Uh, and we will put that in the show notes, everyone. Educate yourself. Educate Take yourself. a look in the mirror and then learn about wine. <laughs> Take a look in the mirror and then drink yourself through it. <laughs> Story of my life. Oh my God, I'm getting that on a t shirt. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you to our amazing guest, Heidi, for today's episode. If you want to hear Heidi talk more about English sparkling wine, there's a bonus recording coming to our Patreon this week. Head to patreon.com slash to support the podcast and to get lots of great bonuses like this. Your Own Words is hosted by Alison Dunnings and Becky Graham. Subscribe, rate, and review to help others discover us and read along with us at yowpod.com. <laughs>